Colin Provart and I started at Southwest together. And he graduated in 2016. Um, I, ha I have a couple pictures of him. One of his uh, freshman year, if we have that up there. There he is. Look at that. That's a beautiful Colin Provart, 14-year-old. And then uh, as he graduated four years after that with, um, with a, a dear friend, Jack Jensen, who is also in my D group, I, we have fond memories and amazing lifetime together of, of walking with Christ, and it's been a privilege to see what God has done in him. Now he's on, on staff at the Salt Company, uh, a, a part of Salt City Church down at the University of Minnesota, and working specifically with students at St. Thomas. He's going to tell you a little bit more about that, but um, it, it, it's amazing to see what God does in all of our lives. He never leaves us alone and he always wants us to develop and make us more like Jesus. And I see that in, in Colin on a daily basis. He's got a passion to reach new uh, people for Christ and, dis and disciple them. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say to you guys. He's a member of our community. He's always going to be a member of our community. So I hope you get to know him at some point. He'll be floating around. Uh, he'll also be here Friday. Um, after I pray, our worship team will lead us in a song. And then Colin will come right up. Let me pray for us today. Father. Uh, thank you for never leaving us where we're at. Thank you for loving us, even though you know our deepest, darkest secrets and our challenges and our sin, and you love us anyway. Thank you that you make us new and that you use us and give us gifts to bless others. I, I pray for Colin as he comes and shares. Uh, he has uh, been blessed by you to bless others, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, how you're going to use him in the lives of our students today. Uh, cast a vision for a bigger bigger life that they might not yet know about. In, in all things, Lord, I, I pray that you are honored and that we are edified in Jesus' name. Amen. What's up, Southwest? How you guys doing? All right. Thank you, Mr. Beckering. I, I don't know if you guys are told not to talk or with, with COVID and the masks, but that's all right. Well, good morning. My name is Colin Provard. As uh, Mr. Wassenaar said, I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, and here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm just going to share three things that I've learned since I was in your seats. So three things that God has taught me since I was in your seats here at Southwest Christian. When I was here, we weren't in this beautiful auditorium uh, that's all right. As Mr. Wassner said, I uh, was a freshman here in 2012. I was a part of the, uh, Mr. Wass's first D group, was the first class to go all four years in the new building, the new half of the building. Um, I know some of you can't even imagine what it would have been like going to school before the building was here, but um, I was the first class to go all four years. While I was here, I was involved in soccer, uh, basketball, and baseball, and was just incredibly shaped and formed during my time here. I met friends that will stand by me uh, for the rest of my life. Um, and, and actually, this is a little fun piece of information, I'm getting married exactly one month from today. Um, so that's very exciting. So when I say stand by me, oh, thank you. That, that's kind. That's kind. Guys, my beautiful fiance, she, she's going to hate this, but she's right back there. She's incredibly beautiful uh, on the outside, but she's also one of the most godly women I've ever met in my entire life, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, guys, after I graduated from Southwest in 2016, 
I went on to study marketing and entrepreneurial management at the University of Minnesota. I graduated from there in 2019, um, and for the last year and a half, I've been working for a church in Minneapolis called Salt City Church, and I do college ministry there. Um, so like Mr. Wass said, specifically at St. Thomas or other schools um, in St. Paul, I'm also studying to get my Master's of Theology, um, so, so I'm working on that right now. Um, and guys, I'm, I'm excited to be here. And so if you have any questions about Salt Company, about college, about college ministry, about what's next, or about anything I talk about today, um, I'm going to, I'll hang around for a little bit after, would love to talk to you. Otherwise, you can get my uh, phone number or email from Mr. Wass or, um, or someone else here um, on staff and, and would love to talk to you about that. I'm also going to come back on, on Friday. All right, so we're going to we're going to jump into today's encounter message. That's a little bit about me. Uh, and we're going to be in Philippians 3. So if you guys have a Bible, otherwise, if you have a phone, I know Mr. Wass said to put your phone away. As long as you're not checking politics, I'm, I'm allowing you to take out your phone as long as you're in Philippians 3. Um, that, that would be really helpful. Uh, so I was thinking about what, what God's taught me, guys, and secrets out. I'm I'm really not that smart. I don't have that many good things to say, but the Bible does. I know you talked about the Bible last week. Um, so love your Bible because all these things that I'm talking about have been formed from the Bible, have been shaped, um, have been, yeah, taught to me from God's word. And so guys, learn to love God's word. Uh, it, it's, it's shaped and formed me more than anything else since my time at, at Southwest Christian. Um, I also want you to know before we jump into Philippians 3 that I get it. Like I talk about all these things um, and, and the Bible and, and what God's done in my life. I also understand what it's like to go to a Christian school to be in your seats, right? Because I was in your seats. And I think you're going to understand that as I unpack a little bit more of my story of what God's done. Um, so I just want, to, want you guys to know that. But I understand what it's like to be in your seats right now. Um, all right, we're going we're gonna to jump into Philippians 3. So we're going to start in verse 4. This is what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. All right, here's my first lesson. First lesson I've learned since my time in these seats at Southwest Christian is righteousness through my performance is a loss. Righteousness through my performance is a loss. I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Let's look back really quickly at verses 5 and 6. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, so what is Paul trying to say? What am I trying to unpack from Philippians 3 that I've learned since my time at Southwest that I think is important enough to share with you guys? Well, right away we see Paul talking about, I know you guys know your Bible really well, but you guys see Paul talking about like how good of a Jewish man he is, right? Like how righteous Paul is. He, he's like the most qualified Jewish man. He was born into the right family. He was the right nationality. He was educated in the right way. He obeyed all the rules. Not only did he obey all the rules, but he actually enforced all the rules. 
He, he was like, every, had every qualification to be a righteous Jewish man. And, and if you wanted to be Jewish, it would say, people would say, look at Paul. Do what Paul does. Follow Paul. Right? Like, you guys know that. I know you guys know your Bibles. You guys know that. But I think a lot of times we can isolate what our Bible is saying from today's kind of context. So let me, let me just try to land this plane for you guys. I think this might resonate a little more with you guys. Born into a Christian family. I grew up going to church. I've been a Christian or I accepted Jesus when I was six years old. When it comes to my church attendance, perfect. When it comes to myself, or when it comes to my education, A's in Bible class. And when it comes to following all the rules, pretty good. Or, or at least better than the guy or gal sitting next to me. Right? I think we all do that a little bit. So why do I say that? Why does Paul say that? Is it because these things are bad? No. I mean, but, but then Paul goes on to say in verse 7 that he counts them as a loss. It kind of sounds like he's putting a negative connotation on that. But don't, don't hear me say they're bad. Paul's saying they're good things. Paul's saying they're good things, but they're a lousy thing to put your hope in. They're good things, but a lousy thing to put your hope in. Now, I'm guessing you guys all are looking at me like, yeah, Colin, I go to Southwest Christian. I know I put my hope in Jesus. Got it. Check that box and I'm going to move on. But you guys know that there's a difference between knowing something in your head and knowing something in your guts. You guys know what I mean by that, right? Like you can know something intellectually, but then when you know something in your guts, that's when things start to change. When you know something in your guts, then you start to live your life a little differently. So I don't just want you to know in your head to put your hope in Jesus and then putting your hope in your own performance is a lousy thing to put your hope in. But I want you to know that in your guts. Okay? I'm going to continue to, to kind of unpack this for you guys so you guys can maybe understand this a little more. I'm guessing in reality, whether you're willing to admit it to yourself or not, a lot of you put your hope in your performance or in the family that you come from. Why do I say that? Because like I said earlier, I've been in your seats before. And that's what I did when I was at Southwest Christian. Is, is I put my hope in my ability to do good things. I put my hope in my performance. Now, some of you are still probably like, okay, you did that, I didn't do that. Let's run a quick diagnostic test. I'm just going to ask you a few quick questions, just answer them in your head. How do you react to someone else's sin? Do you compare? Either, either way, like do you look at them and you're like, I wish I was that holy, I wish I obeyed like that, or I'm glad I'm not a Jesus freak like they are? Or do you look down on other people? I'm guessing some of you do that, right? Like, hey, at least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not doing what those people are doing. Maybe you look at students outside of Southwest Christian and you're saying, hey, at least I'm not like one of those public school kids. Right? What are you doing in comparison? You're putting your value in your walk with Jesus based on how well you're performing. Where do, where do I measure up? Right? That's what you're doing. Okay, second question. How do you react to your own sin? Do you confess it? 
Because again, I remember being a Southwest Christian student and I didn't like confessing my sin. Why didn't I like confessing my sin? Here's why, because, well, what if I was exposed for who I really am? What if people knew what I was doing on Saturday night? Well, no, 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 I don't want them to know. Why? Because you're putting your hope in your performance. Final question, final diagnostic question. How quickly do you recognize the sin in your life? Do you think you're actually good enough to add up to the righteousness of God? Like, ah, I don't think I have that many sin issues in my life, or I'm not recognizing them very quickly. Why? Because you actually think you can perform well enough to earn the approval of God. Now, again, I know you don't know that, but you might think that in your guts. And I'm saying I, w- I want to help you bring what you know in your head into your guts. Guys, we can't put our hope in our ability to be great because when we do, we're going to always end up failing. So let me tell you guys a little bit more of my story. Right? Like I know I've introduced myself, but let me tell you my story. So when I was at Southwest Christian, guys, I thought I was a pretty big deal. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was a pretty big deal. Um, I was a decently successful athlete. I was a decently uh, successful student academically. Um, I had friends. I was decently successful socially. Uh, for the most part, I thought my teachers liked me. You guys can go to class and check that for, you, for me if you'd like, uh, return with the information, but I thought they liked me. Um, I was even the student body president when I was here at Southwest Christian. Like, I thought I was a real hot shot during my time here. Now, no knock on the current student body president or current student council. I'm not sure who you are. Uh, This is a story about me, not a story about you guys. You guys rock. I'm sure you guys are killing it. Um, Story about me. And, And I wanted to do really big things with my life. And I thought I could because everything I'd done up to this point, I'd been really successful at. Okay, then I went to the University of Minnesota and I thought, Ball was just going to keep rolling, right? I, I was a good athlete. I was a good student. I was, I was good socially. Like, just imagine what was going to happen when I put more energy, when I got smarter, when, when I got into the real world, as they say. Just imagine the life I was going to live. But before I even got to school, I went on this trip with like 30 other freshmen, or going to be freshmen, in college. 30 of us on a bus, on the bus, four Four of 30 were student body presidents. Think of that percentage. 30 people on a bus, four of them were student body presidents. This is a real story. Okay, so being a student body president, not that special. But I was still a successful athlete, and I was still a successful student and friend and and classmate. It was good. I'm, I'm, I'm still rolling, right? Then I started work to the, then I started working with the Gopher basketball team. And I'll get into that later. I'm going to tell a story about that later. Uh, but I met Amir Coffee. Some of you guys are like, who's Amir Coffee? Like, what is this dude talking about? Okay, Amir Coffee's a local dude who went to play basketball at the University of Minnesota. Now he plays in the NBA. Plays for the Clippers in the NBA. Okay? So some of you are looking at me like, dude, you are scrawny. You're maybe an inch over six feet tall. Like, there's no way you thought you were that good of an athlete. You're right. I was never that good of an athlete. I was a decent athlete. But in comparison to Amir Coffey, really not a good athlete. That dude's an athlete, right? Okay, but I still was a successful student, friend, and classmate. I think you guys at this point kind of know where this story is rolling, right? I realized quickly that most of the people in my classes were smarter than me, that my teachers didn't even know my name, 
And by the second semester, I'm pretty sure I couldn't even get my roommate to like me. I mean, like, it was just kind of a brutal stretch. Now, side note, my roommate's going to stand by me in my wedding. We're good friends now. But, um, but I, like, by the end of my freshman year, it was like, what's left? What's left? Why? Because I'd put my hope in my ability to be impressive. Because I'd put my hope in my ability to be impressive. My whole life up to that point had been about that and that alone. And you know what college did? It did start to take those things away, but it zoomed out. It allowed me and my life to zoom out and see a bigger picture. To realize that there was no way I could be impressive enough or perform enough to validate my existence. Okay, so what's the point of the story? The point of this story is to tell you not to try. No. The point of the story is to make you realize that you can never try hard enough to earn the approval of God. Right? Because that story, that what the University of Minnesota did for me is it allowed me to zoom out and realize I wasn't actually that impressive, but what the righteousness of God does is it allows us to zoom out and see that we'll never be that impressive. We'll never work hard enough out of our own doing to be impressive before God. I can't earn right standing before God, right? It's like me standing before a mere coffee and thinking I'm a good basketball player. Just, it, it doesn't work. And I think we all know this feeling We've all been in the place where we aren't good enough. Whether we aren't good enough to make the team or we aren't good enough to get the approval of that friend or that girl or that boy. We also know this feeling spiritually. Like we're on this treadmill of trying to perform, of trying to be impressive. And we keep living our life that way and it just doesn't stop because we need something else to put our hope in. Right? Because we know to put our hope in Jesus, but how do we live practically? We put our hope in ourselves and our ability to perform, and then we get on the treadmill and we can't stop. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves. I say this to you because I, like, I know you know to put your hope in Jesus. I'm not asking you to know intellectually to put your hope in Jesus. I'm asking you to know that in your guts. To know in your guts that if you put your hope in your ability to perform, it will let you down in the end. From someone who's been there, no, it will let you down in the end. All right, lesson two. Oops, I know how to count, I promise. Lesson two, my ambition is to know God. All right, you guys are all incredibly ambitious students. I talk uh, to, to Mr. Wass or Mr. Kaiser or I, I meet a lot of Southwest graduates in my job. You guys uh, want to get plugged into ministry and so I talk to you guys and you guys are like, Super ambitious, like incredibly ambitious. You all want to do big things with your life. You have big dreams for your life, and I, rem- I love that. I remember being a Southwest student, guys. And like I said earlier, I had huge dreams for my life. I had dreams about where I wanted to go to college. I had dreams about the amount of money I would make. I had dreams about the status I would hold in society, about fame and power that I could accumulate but at the root of all these ambitions was actually what we just talked about. It was trying to get the approval of everyone else. It's trying to get the approval of everyone else. So students, I challenge you. Think about this for a second. 
What is the motivation behind all your dreams in your life? You all have big dreams. I know you have big ambitions. What's the motivation behind them? Are they self-focused? Here again, don't hear me say ambition is bad. Ambition's a good thing. Ambition is a godly thing. And Paul is actually going to talk about ambition. Let's look back at Philippians 3, verse 7. I'm going to read it to you if you don't have it pulled up. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means necessary, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what's Paul's ambition? What's Paul's like? life-driving ambition, not just ministry-driving ambition, but life-driving ambition is to know God, right? He says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. So Paul's a super ambitious dude, right? He's ambitious like you guys. And, And for most of my life, I was just that ambitious, right? I was Paul, because Paul, what did Paul do? Paul tried to be impressive. Paul tried to be the best Jewish man. He was like, and it, he worked really hard for the ambition of his life to be approved by other people. But he counts it as a loss. Why does he count all these things as a loss? Because he's seen the greater thing. Paul is saying that it's more important to know the right person than it is to do the right things. Okay, you guys know that, but even at Southwest, that's not really how it plays out practically. It's more about doing the right thing, right? Like, my my walk with Jesus can kind of be sidelined as long as it looks like I'm walking with Jesus, right? Even Southwest, I think, can have this culture And I want you to know that Christianity is not about impressive people. It's about a God who's impressive for you. I don't want you to just know that intellectually. I want you to know that in your guts. You're like, Colin, like, I know, like, my, I, I know about knowing God. Dude, you got to remember, you take theology class here. It's like, I know. I also got my butt kicked by Mr. Goldie. It's fine, right? Like, I know that you know God here at Southwest. But I'm talking about like knowing God intimately, personally, not just in a classroom setting. Knowing that God in your guts. And I think a lot of you don't actually do that. I'm guessing a lot of you don't actually do that. And you have these really great ambitions for your life, but it's not to know God. And I want you to know that you've confused the difference between an honest ambition and a holy ambition. The difference between an honest ambition and a holy ambition. Because you guys all have great honest ambitions. You want to play a Division I sport. You want to get into a prestigious college or university. You want to be a doctor. You want to start your own business. You want to take over your family business. You want to be an executive at a Fortune 500 company. These are all honest ambitions. They're really good ambitions. And they're good things, they're just not ultimate things. Guys, at Southwest, this was me. This was my life plan. 
I was thinking about this as I was prepping for this. I was going to get into a prestigious college or university. Then I was going to be an executive at a Fortune 500 company. Then I think I was going to leave, start my own business. And then I think I was going to maybe sell that off or leave that to start my own nonprofit. Like, I actually thought I was going to do that with my life. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's, that's all right. Um, and I told everyone, including myself, maybe some of you guys do this. I told everyone, including myself, that it was for the glory of God. But if I was honest with myself, it was all for myself. I told myself that I'd make a lot of money so I could give it away. But what was true about that is I'd only give away enough that I could still have a really nice house, a really nice car, go on really nice vacations, wear really nice clothes. You see what I did? I told everyone I had a holy ambition, but what was it? It was a personal ambition. I told everyone I had a holy ambition, but it was really just a personal ambition. I don't want you guys just to have personal ambitions or to have honest ambitions. I want you guys to have holy ambitions. And I'm going to make it really simple. I want you guys all, everyone in this room, God's called everyone in this room to have one singular holy ambition, and that is to know God. Because guys, knowing God intimately, personally, changes everything. Guys, I I didn't understand this until I left Southwest. I want you guys to understand this now. We, We want, I want you to pursue God. Because pursuing God, having relationship with God personally, changes everything and it gets you access to where you didn't have access before. All right, I told you I'd talk about being a a student manager for the Gophers. Um, So, guys, it was one of the craziest experiences of my life. It was wild. I worked 40 to 50 hours a week, like on average, during the season while I was a full-time student. Um, Traveled, uh, just crazy things. I have so many maroon jumpsuits, it's ridiculous. Uh, I traveled to every Big Ten arena. I even traveled to some other notable arenas around the country. I went to Madison Square Garden a couple times. Um, just really, really cool, um, really cool experiences. I sat courtside at every Gopher basketball game for almost three years. I mean, just, it was, guys, it was, it was so cool. Um, but by far my favorite part was the people I met and the relationships I built. I got to meet NBA players, NBA teams, NBA coaches, other college coaches, other college players, Um, just a a really cool experience. Um, But I like loved the coaching staff and the players at the University of Minnesota because that was like my family. That was who I was spending time with. Um, But there's one story that stands out. I remember uh, we were traveling to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. um, And when managers go on the road, uh, you're kind of in charge of everything. Equipment bags, making sure players are on time, uh, making sure you have everything that you need, making sure you're moving everything quickly. Um, long story short, we lost the game, and here's how it goes when you lose a game for the Gopher basketball team. Coach finishes his post-game talk, and it is silent from the time coach finishes his post-game talk until everyone gets off the bus in Minneapolis. I mean, it is silent. You get on the bus, you get on the plane, you get on the bus, you drive back to campus, silence. Okay, so uh, that's the setting that this story takes place in. So I remember I'm on the bus, we're we're driving to the airport from the arena at Ann Arbor to to the airport. We're getting off the bus, I'm unloading all the stuff, and I reach for my back pocket, and I do not have my wallet. So I, I freak out a little bit. I look at my backpack. I look in all the team bags, I look in my bag, I check with my roommate, I look in all the team bags again, I look in my backpack for probably the fifth time, I can't find my wallet anywhere. By this point, it is Coach Patino, who's the head coach, and myself, 
are the only two people yet to get on the plane. And Coach Pacino is always the last one on the plane and the first one off the plane, so I'm freaking out. He can tell I'm freaking out, so he goes, Colin, what's wrong? And what's going through my head is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to Uber from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that's going to be a really expensive Uber ride. Right? I am freaking out, and I said, Coach, I can't find my wallet anywhere. I don't have my ID. I have no way of getting on this plane. Coach Fatino looks at me, looks at the security guard, and said, hey, he's good. You can let him on the plane. He's with me. Security guard's kind of like, who? Like, what? So before she opens her mouth, looks at her again and says, he's good. He's with me. Guys, I literally had no ability to get on the plane, but because I knew Coach Patino, I got access to the plane, and I landed in Minneapolis two hours later. My wallet was in the hotel room. It was sent back to me. I landed in Minneapolis that night. Why? Because I knew Coach Patino, and he gave me access to where I didn't have access otherwise. I promise you that is a true story. That is how it played out. It was wild. Um, But you guys see the point. The relationship with Coach Patino gave me access to where I didn't have access before. So now the question is, where do you have access to? Like, what did I get access to? Okay, so this ambition to know God, what does it get me? What do I understand that I didn't understand before? Sure, you get access to heaven. Like, yeah, that's, that's the gospel. Praise God for that. I'm not underplaying that. Praise God. But you actually also have a citizenship, a citizenship in heaven that starts right now. So this is lesson three, that my citizenship is in heaven. All right, guys, I've been out of college for uh, almost two years now. Um, I've started to learn things about older adults, right? A lot of people say, oh, you're living in the real world. That's not true. You guys also live in the real world. Um, I've just gotten to know some adults uh, because I work with them. And I'm going to let the secret out. Uh, People that, things that adults don't want you to know, um, everyone, or almost everyone, struggles with their identity, right? It's like, okay, a cliche thing that they tell high schoolers. The reason they talk to you about it is because they themselves struggle with it. If anyone tells you they don't struggle with their identity, they're lying to you, they're lying to yourselves, or God has been incredibly gracious to them, find them, send them my way, so I can ask them a little more about what their walk with Jesus looks like, so I can hopefully not struggle with my identity anymore. Right, So I, I can say pretty confidently that everyone in this room struggles with their identity. And there are probably some of you that want to stand up and be like, no, I'm confident in who I am. I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I know who I am. I don't struggle with my identity. Okay, that response, um, if you had a temptation, like even the smallest temptation to give that response, uh, here's what's true about you, is uh, you're probably having an identity crisis right now. Why? Because as soon as someone questioned it, you got defensive. And if you actually were secure in your identity of who you were, you wouldn't need me to validate that identity in you. You know what I'm saying? So we all have this tendency to like jump up and be like, I don't struggle with my identity, but that temptation is actually revealing to you that you struggle with your identity. So I think we can all agree we all have an identity issue. We so quickly put our identity in other things and other people, even in our expectations for our life. And I'm with you. Like right now in this moment, I'm struggling with my identity. Like what what do these people think of me? Am I good enough? Right? Like 
It's just, it's our tendency as, as people to, to fall back into thinking, putting our identity in other places. Now, I know at Southwest, identity and insecurity are, are cliches, but, but I think that this is going to be helpful for you. And as someone who just admitted I also struggle with it, I'd love if you hear me out. I'm, I'm closing out. This is my last point. Um, but here's what you do. Here's one way you solve your identity. You find different things to put your identity in. So put your identity in basketball, someday you're going to get cut from the team. So what do you do? Put the identity in that boy or that girl. Well, someday that boy or that girl is probably going to break up with you. Then what do you do? You put your identity in being a good, good student. Well, someday you're probably going to get a B. Well, what happens when you get a P? You put your identity in being a good friend or you put your identity in being a good Christian. And you run this cycle and you keep going and you keep going and you keep finding different areas to put your identity in until maybe one day, one of them, you'll actually succeed at putting your identity in and you'll be good enough. But we already talked about that. You'll never be good enough. I'm guessing you all do this. If you haven't done it or you don't struggle with insecurity in those areas, just wait. It'll probably happen to you. Why? Because it's our human nature. So how else do we fight identity? Classic phrase, well, don't let them define your identity. Uh, don't, don't let him or her define your identity. Which, that's kind of true, but honestly mostly wrong. Um, why? Because we still have the identity issue. Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, I really wanted girls to like me. The fact that I'm marrying one is a gift of God's grace, honestly. Um, and so I wanted girls to like me. So, you know, there were times, a lot of times, when girls were like, yeah, I'm really not interested, Colin. So it's like, right, my friends are then like, well, hey, don't let her define your identity. So then I look for a different girl. Well, what if she let me down? Oh, well, don't let her define your identity. Then maybe it would become, well, don't let girls define your identity. But what were those, all those things? They were don't statements. Don't put your identity in that. Don't let her define your identity. Don't, 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 don't. Here's the secret to fighting your identity. Guys, lock in on this. This next little bit is... Gold. This is like what changed me. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, first five words. But our, or but your, citizenship is in heaven. Oh man, I'm running. I'll, I'll finish up, I'll finish up. Um, you want to learn how to not have identity issues? Your citizenship is in heaven. Southwest, if you believe in your guts, that your citizenship is in heaven, you will start to not have identity issues. And here's what I didn't say. Put your identity in Jesus. Right? Because everyone says that. Just put your identity in Jesus. I didn't say that. I said fight to believe that your identity is already in Jesus. The gospel message is not put your identity in Jesus, now go do it. The gospel message is your citizenship is in heaven, now believe it. Right? That's what the gospel says. So I have one more quick story, then I'm going to wrap up. I'm sorry, I'm running along. Um, okay, mo most uh, exclusive place I've ever been. Uh, my dad had a really cool job uh, growing up. He traveled the world, he went to cool places, he met cool people. Sometimes he'd bring me and the rest of my family along with him on trips. One of these trips was to Vancouver. You're like, what's cool about Vancouver? It was during the Olympics. It was unbelievable. I saw Sean White win a gold medal. I saw... Uh, short track speed skating. I saw hockey. It was super cool. Um, one meal, we went to the Vancouver Club. I'm like, Colin, that means nothing to me. It didn't mean anything to me either. All, all I knew is my dad told me, be on your best behavior. Be on your best behavior. Okay, well, later I found out that this wasn't just like any exclusive restaurant. Your name had to be on the list. Names that were on the list. 
dignitaries from other countries, presidents from other countries, the chairman of the International Olympic Committee, CEOs from major sponsors like Coke and Visa and Toyota and Samsung. I still don't know how my dad got us in. Honestly, no idea how my dad got us in. So just imagine the type of food that this, that this place served. Just imagine. You want to know what I didn't do? I didn't go up to the security guard and tell him why I belonged in that club. Hey, man, I'm a 13-year-old. Can I tell you about the basketball game I just played in, youth basketball? Hey, man, can I tell you about the, the A I got in my, whatever, fourth-grade class? Of course I didn't do that. What else did I not do? I didn't look at the server and ask for McDonald's. Why? Because they're steak. They're serving steak. They're serving seafood. I'm not going to settle for the lesser thing. But Southwest students, you do this all the time. You do this all the time, right? You go to God and you say, God, let me earn my identity. Like, let me prove to you why I belong here. It doesn't work. What else do you do? You look for other areas to put your identity in because being a citizen of heaven isn't good enough for you. Well, what are you doing? You're ordering McDonald's from a place that serves steak. That's not a good life either. Christian, your hope is that God himself made you a citizen of heaven. You didn't make you a citizen of heaven. God himself made you a citizen of heaven. So a few implications from this. This is where I'm ending. Your primary identity in your life is not that you're single or dating, that you're in that group or out of that group, that you're on the team or not on the team, that you're going to that college or you're not going to college at all, that, dare I say in this time, that you're Democrat or Republican, that your president won or your president didn't win. That's not the primary identity of your life. The primary identity of your life is that you are a citizen of heaven. And that's not something that you have to work for. That's something that you have to believe in. And that's really good news, guys. So spend the rest of your life believing that you are a citizen of heaven. Start right now. While you're at Southwest, start right now. And the, have the ambition of your life be to know the God that made you a citizen of heaven. Let's, let's pray really quickly. Father, um, thanks for that truth that, um, yeah, while we were still sinners, Christ died, that we could be made right with you, the simple gospel message. Father, would we not move on from that and, and move towards other things? Would you blind us to lesser things, to, to lesser things that we put our identity in, to lesser things that we find value in, even ourselves and our own performance, Father? I, I confess that that's my tendency. Would I leave that life behind me and pursue you and, and know what it means to have my citizenship in heaven? And would that start to change everything in my life? We love you. Pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage www.swchs.org click on student life and encounter again thank you for joining us and until next time keep your eyes fixed not on speakers teachers or institutions but on christ the author and the perfecter of our faith